0: Oh my god. Whoa. I get so nervous, dude. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. (gasps) (gasps) This is Lofi lit with Aiden Ryan and he's from Buffalo and he's about to come on and I'm still like having anxiety and nervous. I'm freaking out the entire day. I'm not too loud. He wrote this book, Organizing Isolation. We're one minute away from the interview. He's fiancé of Rochelle. She does Peach Magazine online. Oh my goodness. One question I'd like to ask everyone is uh oh. Shit. Mm-hmm. I said Mitts. What the fuck? Hey.
1: Hey. What's up, man?
0: Am I too loud?
1: No, you're perfect. You're perfect.
0: All right, cool. How's Buffalo?
1: Good. So, uh, well, I'm actually not in Buffalo right now. I, uh... You're not in
0: Buffalo? What happened?
1: Yeah, um, so you know, uh, you might know, Rochelle has been uh, out doing uh, her MFA at UMass Amherst for the last yeah, two years.
0: I thought she went back to yeah, Buffalo. To,
1: um, you know, we, she's been out here, and uh, I just made the move out here. Uh, so we've we've got an apartment in Western Mass now, and and uh, that's where I'll be for the rest of the year. Oh, you guys are living out there together. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I just really moved nice. in over the summer, um, so things are just kind of settling in, but it's been nice.
0: Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Are you guys doing events out there?
1: Um, we're not yet. I mean, I, I think like once the, you know, that all the all the colleges in this area, you know, organize a lot of stuff. So once that kicks off, the calendar will be pretty full. There, there was a little reading that we threw together that Rochelle and Caroline Rainer threw together. Um, a couple weeks back. Uh, oh, was Lucy. Lucy there? Yeah, Lucy was there, Chris. was oh, okay. uh, it was a really great time. Um but that that's basically been it. It's been a relatively quiet summer otherwise.
0: Do you guys do a lot of events? Like in the past? Or do you live like a mostly yeah. like solitary life?
1: <laughs> I feel like a few years ago we were doing events all the time, like you know, 2016 to 2018 into 19, it was crazy. Like it was most of you know, my attention and bandwidth was on like foundlings events and Rochelle was doing peach events. And, um, you know, then obviously the pandemic kind of changed things. And I know Rochelle has been busy doing peach events on that moved more online. But yeah. Because those foundlings, are awesome,
0: dude. She does those yeah. so well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all, always so cool and special to see that community come together online. You, with, with
0: foundlings and peach, do you guys like sit down and like try to make them separate from each other because they seem like they have very distinct aesthetics or do you just do your own thing in your head
1: you know that's a, that's a really good question we we don't really sit down and say like hey you know don't do this thing do this thing whatever it's, it's really more you know where we where we can kind of cross-pollinate and do stuff together that's more interesting we we don't do that all the time obviously there's very like foundlings is deeply not online you know is that a a deliberate choice no it's just the the nature of the people who started it like we're just not we're not online people and if i remember to log on and like some things on twitter like that might happen once or twice a month unfortunately and everybody else like max is you know he's been in med school this whole time like doing radiology stuff and he has no time and Steve is, you know, launching rockets to Mars. So they're just not they don't have the time to do it, unfortunately.
0: So you mostly run it?
1: Uh wh- when it comes to like the online stuff, I'm I'm the one who uh, you know, tries to keep engaged there. But obviously I'm not great at that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's
1: okay. We're slower, slow publishing.
0: Are you the are you the one that came up with it or did you guys all were you guys friends first and then decided to do it, or did you meet them trying to make it First.
1: yeah we were we were all friends first um Steve Coffitt and I met in high school we were like mm-hmm. best friends from sophomore year on and then Steve went to UB and he was roommates with Max Crinnan their freshman year and then they stayed roommates and then I went to Canisius College in Buffalo and I met Darren and he was he was the graphic designer um, we worked on the school paper together mm-hmm. um and then it was a few years later that we all kind of recombined and said, you know, why don't we start making this poetry magazine?
0: Okay. So do you still see foundlings continuing onwards? Cause you said they're all very busy doing other things. Is it like dying down or, you know, when they get out of their school, are you guys going to ramp back up?
1: We, I think we'll still stay active. I think the challenge has been finding a way to do it. That still feels fun. Like it's not a chore. Um, yeah that works with everybody's schedule and is low pressure. And, you know, luckily I think we've been able to kind of find that balance, um, you know, what it looks like as we move into the next stage of our lives, whatever that means for each of us, it'll probably be different, but I don't think it'll go anywhere. We've we we've got a lot of books in the hopper for sure.
0: Well, I like the, the, the Fowlings thing that you do with the, uh, the three chapbooks and you bring them together and you kind of do that every year. I love how the theme of it looks, and it's so well put together. It's very like upscale, very classy. I I like that it's different because a lot of university presses in their magazines, they look like, they kind of look like crap. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Sorry to any like universities out there, but they do. So yeah. how did you guys come up with that idea?
1: Well, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate hearing that. That's that's so nice. And um, you know, all credit for design, like I don't, I'm not sure that people know this because of all the people in foundlings, Darren Canham is probably the least online mm-hmm. and his work is sometimes the least visible, even though it's right there, but everything that has to do with foundlings design comes from Darren. Okay. He is the the goat. Um, so I think what we were trying to do with strays was, you know, we started as a magazine and it was like kind of eclectic. There was random stuff in there, things that we were standing on university Xerox machines and, rent you know people's poems and stuff all jumbled together then we became a press and it was like oh we, you know we have to make things look a little more professional and the strays was a way to kind of get back to our roots mm-hmm. so we wanted to put out books that looked clean from a design perspective but were you know simple staple bound on you know paper that didn't look like super textured or expensive or anything and we wanted them to be cheap to make but simple and clean so that was all darren mm-hmm.
0: And how do you find the people to do people send uh, pieces to you to like get the books together? Because I know you chose uh, Rochelle and Julianne Neely for one of them. And Julianne Neely, I didn't know her before I had read like that Stray's chat book. And, like mm. every time I open like a new poem, it was like this thing I had never even like seen before. It was like, can you even do this? I'm like, I guess because she did it. It's on the page. It's so wild.
1: Yeah. I, I love that reaction to Julie's poetry. Um, I think she would too. That's definitely how I feel. Um, so yeah, you know, you you've hit on like one of the intentions behind Strays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we what we wanted to do was put out something that had the substance of a chapbook, but to put three poets together in such a way that there would probably be somebody you didn't know before. Yeah. So or, you know, maybe people who know Rochelle know Julie, or vice versa. You know, um, but maybe people who know Mary Ruffell don't know Julie yeah, or like, don't know, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, and for sure. each pack, we we try to do that, too. So this next one, for example, um, is going to be D.A. Powell, Kniece Jarbo and Noah Falk. Um, maybe, you know, all three of, of their, their work really well, but hopefully something in there is new and that people who are buying it because they know D.A. haven't read Noah or Kniece or because they know Kniece, they haven't read Noah and so forth. So, um, anyway, that all that is to say, I'm glad that you, you had that experience.
0: Well, no problem. I feel like that would transition to like a very, a project you could like put up online to advertise it. Why do you not do online stuff?
1: Um, when you say like put up online, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I that? guess like
0: do like, um, like a podcast where you sit down with all three of them and like talk about the chat book and how it came together everything are you decidedly like just trying to be around buffalo and around new york
1: no no definitely not um you know we uh i would actually love to do events outside of buffalo especially now that i'm living in massachusetts that would be yeah. great um and i've always wanted to do like steve steve lives out in la and i've always wanted to do something there but um honestly it's just like time and money constraints yeah and just in buffalo where it's like easier your, to do things
0: your focus is more yeah. offline
1: yeah but you know the the podcast idea so with with doug um he wasn't able to travel to we have we have a launch coming up in buffalo and he wasn't going to be able to travel so uh i sat down with him and, and did something like this where we you know recorded him reading all the poems we ended up just having a conversation for an hour afterwards so i did think like oh that was kind of fun and cool like maybe i should throw that up online um, so it's a good idea. It, uh, just hadn't really occurred to us before.
0: Well, like on your YouTube page, I went back through like your videos and you have like, like all the way back to 2013 where like, I think you're in college or high school and you're, you're putting up videos and like doing interviews with people from like the school newspaper. So it seems like you have that background to be able to do that stuff. And I also saw an interview you did with like, uh, I think his name was Justin Parcher like one of your friend of yours and you had this like very like elaborate setup, like outside of a bar and you had like a, a grip guy and a whole very professional camera setup. And I saw that when it was episode one. So you're used to that process.
1: Yeah. It's funny that like, that's another lifetime, right? Um, that was when foundlings just started and was a magazine.
0: Mm-hmm. And we,
1: we did think at that time, like, Oh, we were going to be online and we're going to, you know, put out more video content and stuff. And then it just, nobody had the, the time or energy for it. And uh, and again, I, I've seen this happen to people and, and organizations in the arts generally. If you overcommit and get overwhelmed, you just pull the plug and, and you kill the whole thing. Yep, and right. that, that's been, you know, something I've always wanted to make sure we don't do. So like, instead of overcommitting, let's just pump the brakes a little bit, put out some good books and then see if we want to do more.
0: That's a good idea. So, like, what presses did you watch where you saw that happen?
1: Um, what presses did I watch that where I saw that happen? Um, and like
0: maybe when you were growing up, where what presses did you look to? Maybe that you wanted to emulate.
1: So, well, that, that's a funny question because Foundlings actually did have a very specific inspiration. We were all sitting around. Um, st- so Stephen, we were in, still in college at the time. Sitting around Stephen Max's apartment, and Max had this like shoebox of stuff from his dad. His mm-hmm. dad, Jerry is a, is an incredible poet. Um, and when he was, so uh, he he did his um, MFA at Brown with uh, C.D. Wright and Forrest Gander, and um, he was an intern for Lost Roads Press, which was the press that C.D. founded with Frank Stanford, and that published all the early Frank Stanford chapbooks. And Jerry had all of them. Like he didn't get paid as an intern. He just got all these original chapbooks from the late 70s, early 80s. And it was just this mind-blowingly cool stuff. We loved the design. We loved the poems, the kind of, of, of poetry that was in there. Um, so we were going through this. After Jerry left Brown, he did his PhD at Binghamton and he started a magazine. Yeah. And it was, if you look at the original Filings magazines, they, they're kind of like like this magazine. I think it was called Slow Mountain. Um, but they would have, you know, a poem by John Ashbury next to a poem by somebody I've absolutely never heard of before that was just one of their friends in college, yeah. next to a page from a phone book that they tore out and scanned next to an inside joke. Like it was just so That's funny cool. and approachable. Mm-hmm. That, that specifically was what inspired Foundlings. We said we want to do something that feels like that, but also feels like today.
0: Cool. Uh, did you grow up in Buffalo? I did, yeah. How was that? How was what was like growing up like? What was Buffalo. your
1: childhood like? I, I had a happy childhood, I guess. No, yeah. Um, Buffalo was was different from what it is today. Like, I feel like Buffalo is more just like buzzy now. You know, there's been in recent years there's been so many articles about like, oh, Buffalo's coming back, and you know, oh, look at all these good things that are happening in Buffalo, and and you know, that's cool, and there's some substance behind that. But growing up in Buffalo there just wasn't that kind of spotlight on the city. Um, and there probably were cool things happening, but it felt, I always, I, I've used this phrase before, but it felt like the the land of antique shops. Where really? I lived specifically, there was just antique shops everywhere. <laughs> and not, not all these like, you know, microbreweries and stuff that we have now.
0: How was your schooling? Did you have like a good school that you went to?
1: I, yeah, I had great English teachers. I'm really grateful um, that, like several a series of of incredible teachers had a, had a big impact on me yeah
0: how early on did you want to write and get into writing
1: probably i think that actually so my parents uh showed me um a few years back they, they had saved a printout of i think i was like three years old so i was born in 93 this was in 1996 i like dictated this story to them and made them type it out for me
0: Oh wow. Um, unfortunately, they're very, they're very cooper- cooperative. Yeah, like collaboration, man.
1: Yeah, I haven't been able to to uh, you know have anybody take dictation for me since then. Um that was probably the first and last time, but yeah, it was like some weird little story about going into the basement and finding this family of ghosts that lived there or something. So oh, cool. Do you still I have it? Yeah, yeah, it's they I probably put need them to take a picture of it and send it to you, yeah.
0: No. Yeah. Or put it online or something, yeah. yeah. So uh, um, I was going to ask you if you ever cried in front of your classmates. Because one time I threw a tantrum in front of my classmates because I invited the entire class to the roller rink for my birthday party. And I got really... I know this has nothing to do with writing. I'm just trying to get good stories from you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, what... Um, so wait, you threw a party at a roller rink. and that Yeah, was, I was like, grade.
0: I was like in like third grade or something. And at the end of the night, I, was, I guess i was just exhausted and i had everyone line up and like give me their birthday present and mm. i for some reason threw a tantrum and i put all the presents i liked in one line and all the presents i didn't like in another line and i don't remember why i got mad but i just thought it would be a particularly interesting story to share cuz i'm trying to get better at storytelling instead of just asking blunt questions to people
1: wow i love that story what an image of the of the the judgment of the presents yeah almost like biblical or something
0: um oh thank you the the carpet i remember the carpet being like it was all black with like green and neon purple like planets and shooting stars and stuff Mm -hmm. just how a roller rink is in the 90s yeah
1: yeah no i know the aesthetic well that that is terrifying though i always had difficulty as a kid with moments of having to receive presents um in fact my my parents would do this thing when we were, my sister and I, like, we would drive to my grandma's house for Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. And my parents would, like, quiz us on how to respond to, to strange presents. Not that we ever really got them. It was just kind Wait, of... Wait,
0: what? Wait, what? They quizzed yeah. you on how to receive a present? It was like uh, a yep.
1: social thing? hmm Yeah, it was some some kind of social conditioning. So, like, um, the way they
0: would, like, ask you, like, if you got a dog, like, they would like here's how you're supposed to respond and not respond?
1: Well, they, they wouldn't give us the coaching first. They would be like, all right, it, like it was almost play acting like, all right, you know, right, I'm such and such uncle and I give you something that you just got the night before. How do you respond to that? And we'd have to like, you know, act out the response and be like, oh, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. Or And then it would get funnier and funnier and they would say like bizarre things. Like what if you got these like really ugly socks or what if you got this toy that's for babies? wow make us act it out so um that's
0: cool so they like yeah. were like challenging you from like your family members mm-hmm. maybe they're out like really weird shit when they were growing up
1: did they grow I'm, up in they buffalo did, yeah. they did yeah yeah
0: oh so they're like very so like you're back to your heritage like if you look back into your ancestors like do they just like live in new york
1: um my dad's Family came from Ireland. Uh his mom's side, I think, was in New York State much longer. But his dad's side, his grandfather came from Ireland. My mom's side uh all came from Italy about two generations back.
0: Oh yeah, um, you're half Italian. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Rochelle said that once.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: She's Italian too.
1: She is, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Were you looking for a girlfriend that was Italian? Because <laughs> of like a family like pressure
1: no no um oh. if it was I, I i was uh not sensitive to that pressure no
0: you just related to the italian thing yeah
1: i think there there is uh you know some something about like common touchstones of your upbringing even though rochelle grew up in the falls and i grew up in buffalo and you know
0: what are the falls
1: uh niagara falls
0: oh is that is that in new york
1: yeah, yeah, it's about twenty minutes away from Buffalo, just north. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you Beautiful. guys grew
0: up in the same area?
1: Yeah, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, do a lot of Italians have ADD?
1: That I don't know.
0: Oh, that'd be something to look into. So, did you have a typical Italian like upbringing? We had like big family get-togethers.
1: Um. Yeah. Certainly. I, I felt that on, on my mom's side. I mean, I we have big family st- get togethers on both sides, I guess. I don't want to
0: stereotype Italians or anything. Yeah. Well, I, I remember the family
1: in uh, in high school, and it was an English class. I think I was a junior. Um, we were talking about Wordsworth. Um, we were reading uh, Tintern Abbey, lines composed about Tintern Abbey. And you know, the poem is it, it does this interesting thing with memory where the you know Wordsworth is anticipating remembering something. You know, talk yeah. about Living wow. in the it's it's really interesting and um you know to, to try to explain that to us for the first time our teacher mr kenny who uh, just passed away this year actually absolute legend he um was asking us about things that were better in anticipating than ever in real life mm-hmm. so, like it's 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 more pleasurable to anticipate like thanksgiving he said than actually living through it um and he asked us like what do you typically do on these holidays and I remember what I, he was like, so what do you, what do you eat at Thanksgiving? And I was like, oh, ravioli. And he just mocked me mercilessly. He's like, ravioli, what in the world are you talking about? Who has ravioli at Thanksgiving? And, and I never really occurred to me that that was strange until that moment.
0: I don't think that's strange.
1: Yeah. He, he was probably just, you know, You're just um, teasing you, just teasing me a bit, but yeah.
0: So let's talk about your book a little bit. The organizing isolation oh. Sure. So you came up with the idea because you would get letters from your family and then you would scan them onto a copier. Did you have like a copier like already? Or did um, you have to like did you have to go seek one out like at a local library? Like when you came up with the idea? How many letters did you have before you came up with the idea?
1: I I had quite a few letters. It really happened because I went away to Scotland for uh for a year. Um and probably for a little school? more than that yeah for school uh after college i left like right away i i went to ireland for a little bit to study at the Eighth school then i hung out with a friend in germany for a while He was gracious enough to put me up and then was uh, that
0: uh for writing sorry for interrupting that's, no, no, no.
1: that's fine um not not really the the ireland thing was um there's this uh there there I, there's a scholarship at, where I went to a Canisius that sends a, one student every year to go to this Yates school. And you so got like a, picked? I, wow. I was, yes, I was like, cool. yeah. You're the yeah, one guy. It was a transformative and experience for sure.
0: How was it transformative? In what ways?
1: Um, honestly, it changed the way I thought about poetry. I mean, I had a great undergrad experience, but this was such a deep dive into the the mystery of Yates, like where he lived. Uh, I came away. So there was a, the, the reverence that the people of Sligo have for Yeats was so, it just, it just impressed me so much and made me appreciate the poetry more too and listen more closely.
0: What is his poetry like? I'm not very familiar with Yeats.
1: Um, what is his poetry like? How do you uh, relate
0: to it? Or what did you find uh, fascinating about it?
1: I think, well, it... He covers a lot of ground, right? So there's yeah. some of the early poetry is, you know, maybe a little lighter. Uh, you know, has to do with like Irish myth and and the fairy world and stuff. He he's interesting in that he is one of the early modern poets and helps bring us into what modern poetry really is. But he also has this ancient sense of like magic, like he mm-hmm. I think he really believed in fairies. Um, so so I kind of love that ability to hold these competing ideas like of, of imagining a new modern Ireland that rejects the old, but also, you know, he's in touch with these kind of superstitions and, and, and beliefs and things that are beyond logic. So I really was it,
0: that. Was it like a religion to him?
1: Um, he has certainly a religious sense. It's, it's like a, yeah, a, a stew of religious influences. I think Catholicism, Protestantism, and then this sort of mythic stuff. Yeah.
0: Was he playing around with it? wasn't very playful
1: yeah it could be playful definitely so the, the you, else, yeah go ahead oh
0: sorry you said uh your family was from ireland i think did mm-hmm. you look into your family's history and try to find anyone that was related to you out there
1: yeah totally so um Ooh. i have an aunt uh, my dad's youngest sister who got she you know Every every family has somebody who's who's more interested in genealogy than the others, and she's that. Oh yeah. And it, I think I'm grateful for it because she puts in so much time to learn this interesting stuff. Yeah. I sort of went with homework from her um, because I, you know I was going to be over there, and she said, "Oh, you've got to go visit the old Ryan farm," and it was in County Clare in a place called Ennis Diamond. She connected me with a family who lived near it, so I was able to get people to take me up there. And Tyler, this was this was wild that they're only like three generations back um, all the way up until 1966. I think Wow, there were relatives of mine living in this thing. It was a dirt floor, single story stone hut with a corrugated tin roof. Um, yeah. And with, you know, just darkness, no plumbing, no electricity. And yet in this beautiful spare kind of austere countryside with, ponies and horses and cows running around and stuff. It was, uh, it was, it was a lot. Um, I visited the grave, which was unmarked. Um, and I, one of the interesting details was that the family, you know, nobody could read until they came over to America. So mm-hmm. the, uh, but I found this parish church that had records of births and deaths and things. Wow. And, and my great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather or something, I'm not sure how many greats, was Dennis Ryan but because he didn't know how to read or write, he couldn't sign his own name. So mm-hmm. the priest signed his name for him, but he put, he spelled it in, in Latin and used Dionysus instead of Dennis, which the 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 juxtaposition of the the grandiose Dionysus, an actual God with this Irish peasant guy who couldn't read was um, just so weird and provoking for me. So, yeah. so
0: he knew religion though.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they definitely participated in that too. Um, Probably
0: or, oral tradition.
1: Yeah, and they and they would go to church, but they also believed in in the fairy realm even though they went to church. Like the stuff mixed. Like right next to the church St. Augustine's was this fairy well that they believed had magic powers and they would have gone and like baptized their children there. It was an interesting mix of uh, you know, beliefs. Do you relate
0: to that anecdote? Of him signing his name in like this grand way in any way with yourself
1: i don't know how it relates to me i, I, I guess but it
0: because sometimes uh, i hear i hear like family history stuff and i like kind of relate it back to mm-hmm. me like we had this maybe this one doesn't relate to me but i had like a great great grandmother they lived in i think they she lived in ireland and she was like 18 or 19 And she stole like a three pence shawl and it was like during the 1830s my dad like he was he's looked all this stuff up and they like traced our heritage back through time and so she went to court and they they took her from her family and they moved her to tasmania where they put convicts or something and then somehow we uh from tasmania we go to australia and then my great great grandfather he like jumps on this ship that's going to New York and it's a crazy story but i just i was just thinking about how my family they kind of do these wild uh, outrageous stunts like i was like thinking maybe i should be more like that or something
1: yeah do you you also do wild outrageous stunts i know
0: not really maybe this is the wildest thing i do
1: yeah it's, it's funny. I mean, I think this stuff does live on in us, um, but at the same time, I am try to be closely attentive to, and I'm interested in, like, what we're recreating because we want that sense of a, of a connection to the like past. The, yeah.
0: the stories that we tell ourselves yeah, and try exactly. to commit to or not right. commit to.
1: And what is just coincidence versus something that's, you know, yeah. genuinely passed on. Yeah.
0: Have you thought about, have you tried to write about your trip to ireland because i knew that i know that you have had a blog that you kept for a pretty long time did you ever think about trying to publish any of the pieces that you put on the blog or go back through them and rewrite them or do anything with that or like just write about the the, that that experience of seeing your past family's farm
1: yeah i actually i did write about the farm thing and and about these issues like what is actually passed on versus what is, what am I yearning for? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I published it um, through CNN International, bizarrely. Oh yeah, Um,
0: you were on doing I I
1: I used to have that like in like the standard bio when I was doing a lot of readings around Buffalo in like 2016. And I just, I kept it in largely because every time Noah Falk, who's a a good friend of ours, heard it in the audience, he would just laugh because Mm -hmm. it was so funny to hear CNN in a poetry bio. So I just had to keep it forever. But um, I checked recently, and it's it's not online anymore, which really sucks. Um, so maybe I have to, like, republish it or something. Yeah.
0: Have you thought about publishing essays or anything? Uh, like, in a, yeah. in a book, together?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, really, I write mostly nonfiction these days. Um, yeah. I, I can't get away from it. So whether there's a book in there, maybe, I, I guess. Um, I, I do have a long... I have one nonfiction book I'm trying to shop around right now.
0: What's that so, about? Uh,
1: that is actually more about my mom's side of the family. Um, it, uh, in brief, um, my aunt and godmother, Cindy Suffoletto, my mom's sister, passed away in 2012, uh, and her husband, Andy Topolsky, passed away four years before that. They were both artists who mm-hmm. left Buffalo in the 80s to seek opportunities in New York. They were part of a really interesting Movement in art, um, and they were both dead. Like right when I was becoming interested in art myself as a teenager. Yeah. Um, wow. And this book was an attempt to, I don't know, like my my whole experience of art in the world, like visual art or poetry, or you know, trying to be an artist and get published and get you know into the right circles and stuff. I'd I'd be experiencing it sort of through an idea of what they might have had experienced in a similar way. Um, and then I found all these little, you know, as I got older, I'd find these little correspondences like, oh, Andy was actually in this show in this gallery that I'm visiting in Germany, and I had like no idea. And oh, that's interesting, or he knew this person, or Cindy knew that person, and, and I'm now reading their work, or or oh, you know, Andy really loved Arthur Rimbaud, and then now I'm reading Arthur, you know. So none of that really means anything on a on its own. But I started to try to piece this together and piece together who these people were mm-hmm. um, that that I can't stop thinking about. Um, So it ended up being kind of like a biography of their lives and their relationship. And then also a story of my sort of seeking for them after losing them so early.
0: That's very interesting. So it goes back to that guy that you're talking about earlier that was talking about the memory that you were going to anticipate. You're trying to anticipate their art in some way
1: yeah yeah definitely there, there's all kinds of like projecting back and forth in time going on you know um, so what what
0: uh, movement were they a part of
1: so a, a couple so andy really was the much more famous artist um and and that's in part because cindy put her career on hold to support him but he was older he was part of um what's called i i would argue he's he's part of what's called the pictures generation Mm-hmm. And they were a group of artists that came up in New York City, California, Buffalo, and Toronto around the same time. They include like Cindy Sherman, Robert Longo, uh, Vito Acconci, or he's a little older. And basically, they were interested in turning things into other things. So they were the first generation that grew up with like war on TV and, you know, post Nixon, pre kind of the Wall Street era. Um, and the a lot of it happened in buffalo but then this group that that came together and they started the hall walls gallery they they did tons of really cool cutting edge interdisciplinary stuff they all just got out of town around the same time because there's just mm-hmm. not that much money in buffalo to support uh this many artists so andy and cindy followed that group to new york andy though, was also part of what's called post-minimalism um and he also, I think, would participated in in Fluxus um, and Intermedia.
0: What's post-minimalism?
1: Honestly, some of that stuff goes over my head. I'm really not a critic. Yeah. Um, but I, as far as Andy's style is concerned, um, I think it takes some of the uh aesthetic refinement of of minimalism, but like reintroduces uh intertextual stuff. So like his art would. He was an incredibly precise draftsman. Like there's a real beauty, an austere beauty to his work. But he would also have random bits of text and random images and like the schema for nuclear silos and all this stuff that is just introduced as as a kind of noise that turns into language into the into the art.
0: Well, that's cool. Do you so you come you come from a huge family of artists? Cause I think your sister's an artist too. What what was what like when you were going up? Did you feel any pressure to like go into art? No you, said no, you did some art.
1: Yeah, I I definitely didn't. I mean, Andy and Cindy were the only people in the family who were artists like that, to my knowledge. Uh-huh. and they were a little bit remote. Like, even though Cindy was my godmother and paid so much attention to me, I'm you know grateful for that. Now they lived in New York, so we only saw them a few times a year. Um, and my sister and I like, didn't think of ourselves as like artists, we were just kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and then Talia, Talia's talent just sort of exploded and it became very clear that she was going to be an artist. Um, but because she, she paints and I totally suck at all visual stuff. There was no pressure on me at least. Even though you made a book that is
0: mostly visual.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I would, I just, I don't know what I, what I was thinking when I made that, but um
0: you're just going for it man you just had like this ambition to make some yeah yeah so let's go back to the photo photocopier you're over in ireland
1: um, so so this actually came together a little later basically the because i left home a lot of my friends you know would write letters to me and, and then, like it's it's yeah.
0: interesting because it was physical and like not mm-hmm. like emails or texts yeah do you think now if you were over there they would mostly email or text you and not physically uh write letters and like how far into the process of you getting letters did they start to know that you're going to do this book
1: really i only decided to do it after i came back so it was a way and i i was feeling a little sad honestly and like missing that time like I, i you know i i felt a little i was sort of feeling a little lost you know Mm -hmm. I had given up the Scotland thing. I could have gone on to do a PhD and didn't. I was like, did I make the right choice? You know, I've missed people in my life. Yeah, yeah. So this was a way of trying to make some sense of that whole period that came before. Um, The question of like, would they text or email? Sometimes I don't know, like actually sitting down and writing a letter forces you to to share in a different way. I don't know that i it would have been a very different book if I was slicing up you know, texts.
0: Oh yeah. it would be way different. Cause I think you get a lot of personality from just seeing people's handwriting. And also when I was reading like the book, I didn't really get any sense. Like sometimes when I'm reading a book, you can like kind of subconsciously think of like the writer's like economic status or their class level and like kind of make judgments. I wasn't even thinking of you cutting up things into the, into the, poems or the letters i was just thinking of the person that was writing it Mm. and taking it as a whole at once
1: yeah well i'm i'm glad uh for that uh that that effect came off it felt like a dialogue for me and i was so interested in the idea of artistic processes dialogue at that time Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's kind of what i focused on in my master's in scotland and i thought here, this is a chance for dialogue, but it's an unfair and uneven dialogue because I am ultimately the one who's cutting the words and shaping the poems. And there's this illusion that it's their language because it's their handwriting. And that's yeah. so strong that it kind of obscures my hand, I think. But um, but at the same time, in reality, I'm constrained by the words that they wrote. I can't supply something that, that wasn't there. So, um, yeah. Do you
0: think you work better with constraints?
1: For a project like that, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was I, I've you know that it, that is way larger than the number of just actual like poems I've ever written. You know, mm-hmm. it was very generative in that way.
0: Are do you do you plan on ever going back to Scotland and seeing uh, that farm with like Rochelle or friends or anyone?
1: Yeah, I hope. I hope so. I hope to get back there. Yeah, um, I don't know when, but. It'll happen.
0: Does she have any family that she wants to go see, like, over seas?
1: I don't think specific family, but um, definitely I think Rochelle wants to, to get to Italy and uh, see where her folks came from and um, that would be cool, see that landscape, yeah. So you said you met these...
0: Can you talk a little about your friends that you met when you set up Foundling Express? I know I'm going all over the place.
1: Oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, you, you mean like like Darren and Max and Steven?
0: Yeah, because I don't I don't know them at all. I just know you mostly yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so so Steve, like I said is uh, you know my my oldest friend from that group. Um, he is a super cool guy. He's uh, although he has the of all of us, I think he has the least of a literary background. he's a he's a deep reader and a deep thinker, but he is a scientist. Uh, he works for NASA. He works at uh, NASA dude. (laughs) Yeah. He's a a little, you guys are like, you guys are very intelligent people. Well, Steve and Max are, (laughs) but
0: the others aren't
1: well. Uh, well, and, and Darren, I guess has, uh, another kind of, I, I can't claim the skills that the other three have, but, uh, Steve um so yeah Steve is an actual rocket scientist he's worked on you Holy know shit dude cool Mars rovers he's working on the Psyche mission right now damn um, yeah yeah cool dude
0: have you thought about putting the that into your work
1: um i would said, love it you said your yeah.
0: uncle he put like rocket ships and stuff into his art
1: yeah if if i understood any of it um definitely uh um i would love for Steve to make some art out of um his experiences i think he could but he's again he's got very little time to do so did you talk
0: about what it's like to work at nasa
1: yeah and i've actually visited the lab it is it is pretty wild um the, you know the size of some of these machines and just to think that we actually succeed in putting them sometimes on other planets like i mean he, he did he worked on the perseverance rover that we dropped on mars and that's driving around right now Specifically you worked on the crane that picks stuff up. It's just so so wild to think about these things not in the abstract, but as something that like a friend of yours actually made, like it was a Lego or something. Are
0: you are you ever envious of your friends' success in other fields? And do you ever reflect back and go, Oh, I shouldn't have gone into writing. I should have gone into some other profession that makes more money or been more financially successful or competent or something
1: not not really i do That's i good. i celebrate there I, I i get so stoked by my friends doing cool stuff i i don't i don't ever really think about it in terms of like could i have done that but maybe it's because i could not have done that
0: yeah i was reading this essay that you did i think you, it was, you kind of talked to me about it about you being a teacher and it's like mm. in 2015 it was like this is like in the humanities of like some national foundation about this kid that like kills himself and then you had to teach a class over it
1: yes so yeah so for so there was an essay published in humanities yeah that um uh there it's from the national endowment it's actually it's it's a it's a great magazine i think it should be on more people's radars there's a lot of uh, really good writers there and the editors are incredible um they worked with me on on that piece um yeah so I, i was a teacher a classroom teacher for one year um and in the first couple of weeks there was a student's uh, m- mother who um killed herself and, uh, passed away and that was what i had to uh sort of deal with um and in doing so you know i was fresh out of that grad program in scotland and i had you know i didn't know how to be a teacher i certainly also didn't know how to like be a grief counselor or deal with anything but like that situation didn't um, the
0: student also kill themselves after they saw their mother killed themselves
1: uh no no that, oh okay yeah um, so anyway, I, I turned to this Robert Frost poem, um, just sort of like randomly. I'm, I'm not sure how it popped into my head in the moment, but reading that as, as sort of a way for the class to sort of process what was going on and in, in, around them, not just the, this horrific, you know, fact itself, but also the way that the community had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so years later, you know, five, six years later, I ended up writing about that, that, uh very strange and harrowing experience um, i must
0: have misread this essay because i thought it was david foster wallace it was a david foster wallace quote about burning uh, buildings or standing at yeah. a burning building with fire coming out and like I, looking down mm-hmm. and not yeah, no, jumping there
1: yeah i mentioned that too yeah oh okay mm-hmm.
0: so you're a big fan of david foster wallace he's like one of the only guys when i was in undergrad or my first part of undergrad because i'm still in undergrad because uh, I dropped out in 2014, and then I've gone back and I take mm-hmm. a few classes every now and then.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But he was like one of the main guys I really got into at first because I found him on Wikipedia, just looking up modernism or something or postmodernism, and I read a bunch of his stuff. And a lot of the grad students thought that was like cool or something, even though I'm, like I'm not that smart. I just know that one guy <laughs> real well.
1: Yeah, I, I like his work a lot, um, and particularly you know
0: somebody- so you know so much, man. You're like very very studious at reading
1: i you know i don't know i think i think i you know like a few things here and there but often i feel like i've got huge gaps in in what i know and what i read and you know uh especially like you know being around rochelle and and uh other friends of ours who are you know reading all the time and and i'm always learning stuff that that's actually honestly i think part of why i like to be part of publishing and, and these groups of people who read and write and stuff because yeah, are always pointing out new things that you should be looking at, you know.
0: Did Darty ask you how early on did you really get into writing when you were in grade school? Um, did we go into that? You, you mentioned,
1: like, so so in grade school, besides that one random story that I made my parents type out, yeah. um, I didn't really think of myself as a writer until about sixth grade. And this, this is kind of, it, like, embarrassing or bad or something, but I distinctly remember realizing one day that I was pretty funny. And and before that I was like not a popular kid. I was not unpopular, but I was not, I was just kind of around. I was yeah. maybe somewhat reserved. And um, I think we took a, a like a poetry unit in English class in sixth grade. And I just started writing these like poems making fun of my friends. And they were, you know, little rhymy couple poems but they were pretty funny and pretty good and people really reacted well to it. And as, as one does, as a kid who cares about, you know, friends reactions and, and uh, you know, social affirmation and stuff, I thought, Oh, I should lean into this. (laughs) So I just kept doing it. Um, And I think that was probably the beginning.
0: And then you started looking at like real poets from like a long time ago, because I saw in some interview, you were talking about, you're into Ezra Pound. Uh, Yeah. When did mm-hmm. you get into Pound after you were writing these funny poems?
1: Much later. That was in grad school. Yeah. yeah. So, what
0: was your what was your undergrad like? Were you into poetry as much as you were when you were in grad school?
1: Um, it was it was a progression into it. So, in undergrad, I went to Canisius College. I was in the creative writing program. Um, I actually was an English major, and then had to drop it because I didn't want to take this Shakespeare course. I wanted to do something else. Oh, wow. um, but I had some great did, teachers. Did you uh, have to
0: take the Shakespeare course? Or you got you got out of it?
1: Well, I got out of it and then had to drop my English degree. I was like an English and creative writing major. And yeah. I was a creative writing major because so I didn't want to do the Shakespeare course. But so so there we go. There's a huge gap. Like I don't really know that much about Shakespeare.
0: So what, what major did you go with?
1: Uh, the creative writing.
0: Can you wait? So you can just go into. You don't have to take that because like at OSU, I think I would have to take. The Shakespeare thing.
1: Yeah. um, Somehow I I avoided it. it. Yeah. So, like, Um, when
0: when you were starting, first starting college as an undergrad, were you focused on creative writing as your focus?
1: Yeah, I was by late high school. I realized I wanted to be a writer. I think junior or senior year of high school, I stumbled into some like weird, obscure online magazines. I started, you know, publishing short stories there. And, and growing out of like my junior high stuff, they were funny and sort of absurdist and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, you know, progressively more serious as I got older. Like the, the origin point was just like, let me be funny for my friends, you know. So
0: online magazines really motivated you to write very early on.
1: They they made it seem like writing was a thing that you could do in public and not just in like, you know, your loose leaf paper. In school you know
0: did you start feeling like uh oh i could do one of these magazines at some point
1: i'm sure that planted a seed but i didn't think about it then that way you know it was only later in college when i was exposed to all these bigger magazines like mcsweeney's and the believer and uh, tin house and salt hill and stuff we had a great magazine section in the library at canisius we had to go down there as part of class and you know I thought, oh wow, this this is a big world with a lot of stuff going on.
0: So, when you're in Scotland, you said you decided not to take up the option to take a to do the PhD. What? How did you come to that decision? And was that like heavy on your mind because you could have went into that?
1: Yeah, I I just had run out of money, and um, well, that's a good decision. yeah, <laughs> a
0: good decision. Yeah, if you run out of money, it
1: makes it it makes it easier. Um, and but you know, I don't want to make it sound like. Uh, like oh what is me! Like I had a safety net, you know. I I was able to come home to family, and you know. But but um, unfortunately, and I also like made bad choices. Like I did I wasn't working part time. I think I tried to get a job at various bars and cafes, and nobody hired me. And well, I mean, I if you're shopping.
0: looking for a job and no one's hiring you, I mean, it's not like you're sitting around not doing anything. Yeah, it I kind of I tried harder, but yeah, I mean, it kind of sucks when like you graduated and you're, you know, you're looking for jobs and no one's like, that's happening to me right now. I'm trying to look for jobs. I'm like, no one will fucking take me. I'm like, I could do this job, just like hire me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah it was tough. I'm Actually, I remember having, a, by the end of it, I was doing a lot of journalism. I was doing a lot of music writing and I wanted to apply- You do a
0: lot of writing.
1: For... Yeah. You yeah. did a
0: blog, you did like, you did art writing. You're now doing music writing.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it was a it was a great time to be able to write constantly all day, every day. Um, you got paid for it? Oh, sometimes the, the music writing world, you know, especially in these smaller magazines, you'll get paid for the big pieces, but not for like the or you know yeah. the music reviews. So I would I would review albums for free, and then every now and then they'd assign me to either go to a festival somewhere or like write a feature, and then you would get like you know fifty pounds or something. Dang. So, did sh- 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 sh-
0: you ever think about being a musician?
1: I was in bands um, for a-, a lot of. You them. were? Liked- Damn. Yeah, I played the drums. Um, Doing a lot. Yeah, <laughs> i a dream
0: man. Jack of all trades,
1: <laughs> master of none. Yeah. Um, no, I-, I play the drums. If you count that as an instrument, um, unfortunately, it's been tough to like have a space to play this very large very loud instrument in recent years so
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah how would you get um, into I,
0: drums did you play like at a in like band at like the high school
1: i think i i got into drums because of john bonham of led zeppelin um when i was a kid i just heard some led zeppelin and thought wow this is this is really cool <laughs> and i i loved the the titanic sound of uh, the song moby dick and which is just this long drum solo I just thought I want to do that.
0: Yeah, I took percussion and like uh it was like middle school, but see I never practiced and so I go every day and then I'd be like really bad. Because mm. it was like you have to do the little Yep. It's kind of annoying.
1: Yeah. That that never excited me either.
0: Yeah, because they make they make it so boring and like not fun at all. Yeah. So what's the future look at, like for you? five years from now where do you see yourself
1: great question um i don't know i think i've stopped trying to plan that far ahead which i hope is the right decision um i think i used to have these really long-term goals and now i'm just enjoying life trying to write trying to read trying to hang out with friends Um, that's a good idea as far as i as far as i plan out
0: you don't plan on having you and rochelle having a family and like a big house with kids
1: well yeah we'll see we'll see what happens um just random yeah there's you know the i've experienced so much change in the last few years that i again i just sort of stopped uh stopped trying to plan out that far but i do hope i publish that book about my aunt and uncle i want to i want to place that and then uh maybe figure out what the next really big project is
0: you see foundlings and peach ever like doing a project together
1: um We once did a reading together that was so much fun. It was a masquerade in Buffalo in 2019. I think um, that was the last time we really collabed like that. But um, there might be more ahead. There might be more ahead. No specific.
0: I was listening to an interview you did once, and you're talking about starting readings out. It was like in 2017, and you guys mm-hmm. were just like going around to random bars and like getting and just starting out readings and not really knowing anyone do you think that's a good idea for other people to do just to go get a bunch of friends and like do readings in like bars
1: the the reason we did bars was because they were free so Mm -hmm. when we had no money to like pay a venue fee venues are sometimes really expensive it'll be a couple hundred dollars and you're not going to make that money back yeah so and we just you just can't support that so bars on an off night would Often say yes, sure. You know, do a reading because oh, really? Try. Like
0: you go and ask them, and they say, oh yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, that was that was our experience. Um, we were just looking for places to show up, and so you know, what nights in down.
0: particular do you ask them for?
1: Um, maybe like th- whenever they didn't have something else going on in their calendar. You know, like if they had a trivia night on Wednesdays and a happy hour on Thursdays. Um, I remember actually the maybe it was the second Foundlings Magazine launch, we made the mistake of doing it at a bar during a Sabres game. And like 90% of the bar just did not care that we were reading poetry. Mm-hmm. And um, we had all these poets in the back, you know, getting up there with a microphone, competing with this very loud game on all these televisions. It was just the worst experience, but a lot of fun. But not, um, I'm like a little embarrassed in retrospect that I made these readers uh, read. <laughs> in that goes,
0: you know... You don't know what you're doing, but you, you did it and that's the important thing. So yeah. did you ever play sports in like school?
1: Um a little bit, yeah. Uh I've done everything football. But I am you know, not I wasn't super athletic as a as a kid. Um so I did some team sports, but I wasn't like, you know, super into it.
0: Did I ask you what other forms of art as influenced your writing?
1: No, I don't think you did. Um,
0: artists. I was gonna ask that.
1: Well, I think my, I think poetry has influenced a lot of my nonfiction, you know, just an attention to meter. And that goes back to the Yates school too. Yates was so good at meter. Um, and actually I I took a course in scansion with, during that, that two week period and that has stayed with me forever. So now I I sort of scan prose too. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing I think is, uh, this is going to sound so lame, but, um, certain music in particular, like like Gustav Mahler, the symphonies, um, stay with me for, for prose. I, I like this idea of, you know, introducing a theme or an idea, introducing another one, introducing another one, and it's kind of a creative way and then bringing it together. There there are certain moments in certain you know, symphonies or maybe some jazz that uh, I like often think of when I, I think about writing.
0: So it's like a tide. It's like a very instructive Mm, methodical, but kind of random way of presenting things.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like Gustav Mahler's Fifth Symphony. To me, is is like major influence on my writing. I I want I want writing to feel that way.
0: You know, a lot that. of like old classical dead people, but I have no idea who these people are. How'd yeah. Get, how do you get into these? Just like as a kid, you're like. Were your parents, like, very uh, specific about introducing you to these sorts of artists, or did you seek them out yourself uh, the internet?
1: No, not those artists, but, I, you know, going back to the Irish and Italian household, like, with, with an Italian mom and an Irish dad, I l- listened to a ton of Enya, and I listened to a ton of Andrea Bocelli. Who and,
0: are these people? I don't know.
1: Oh, oh, you got to check out Enya. She's okay. And Andrea Bocelli... um Ro- Rochelle can tell you all about him.
0: Are they yeah. like composers?
1: Uh singers. Singers. Yeah. Oh. And was really big in the nineties, um, as this oh. kind of mythic Irish voice, uh ethereal. And then Andrea Bocelli's kind of like an opera singer that crossed over into, you know, operatic pop.
0: Do you yeah. w- have you ever watched opera? Are you into that too?
1: So you know what? Rochelle oh and I God. went to the first opera two days ago. Really? Never, never done it before. We did it on a whim. There was like something at this local opera house, maybe an hour away. And it was such a great experience. Don Giovanni. It was so good.
0: Oh my God. What was the opera about? What was the story? Um,
1: Don Giovanni is about this, this dude, Don, who's sort of a nobleman. uh, And he um, goes around seducing all these women and lying to them and lying to other people and doing all sorts of bad things, killing people, just being a general scoundrel. Mm. And the uh, opera is about him and his servant, kind of getting progressively into more and more trouble until uh, a kind of poetic justice happens at the end. And, and uh, oh, you can and, spoil it. Yeah. Well, oh, he, nice. he he gets sort of killed by a force beyond the grave. Let's say a zombie. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe a zombie. Oh. Maybe you don't see a physical zombie, but kind of like that. Yeah. Somebody that he wronged. So it's it's just a a play about desire and class and evil uh and hubris and uh yeah, it was a banger. And you you could follow it. Kind of. They had English subtitles uh projected at the top, which was great. So was it like Uh, at a theater or was
0: it like like physical people?
1: Um yeah, it was it was physical people. Um and they had a
0: head like they had a thing that you could read? Yeah, it was just well, a very
1: small, like little screen, to, like above the proscenium. Um, yeah,
0: I saw you mentioned in a poem recently by Orchid. And they wrote, "I uh, just uh, stealing the Nash- I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence."
1: Yes, yes. Is that the yeah. only
0: poem you've been mentioned in, or have you been mentioned in any others?
1: Um, that's that may be my only appearance by name. In a poem yeah that may be it
0: have Honor. you written in any have you written any poems where you mentioned other people
1: um only n- not sort of I, th- I think I, so like the last poem I really wrote and published was uh, a poem about Rochelle and it, it's uh, it was in the and anth- this anthology like a couple of years ago mm mm-hmm so yeah have That's you been
0: fun. have you been down to austin texas
1: um yes for Orca's wedding and also I, i've got actually a very close friend as well who lives there uh aaron um i was just down there most recently in april yeah for trip. If, like,
0: if you ever go back and hang out with them you should go see an aew wrestling show i think you guys would really enjoy it because it's a wild yeah. sort of event have you ever been to a pro wrestling show and who's your favorite uh, pro wrestler?
1: No. So now you've stumped me. That That's one area where I, Oh, remember. there you go. Yeah. Um, what, what is, is this something you follow closely or love?
0: Oh yeah. I love pro wrestling. I've been yeah. following it since I was a little kid. I'm very into trashy pop culture stuff. That's awesome. Like that's cartoons. awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I mean, I like, I love kind of from a distance, the aesthetics of it, that I see just sort of online, but I just, I just don't know any of the people that are, you know the the rituals or or any any of the, that stuff. It's a so.
0: giant spectacle. Mm-hmm. It's a big performance. I think Barthes, uh wrote about it. Oh yeah, Do you know him?
1: Uh, not not a not super well. No,
0: the essayist?
1: Yeah. Long well, he? hey, let me let me know if there's like a specific essay I should check out on pro wrestling. I'll absolutely read that.
0: Okay, I bet Orchid they probably know one. They're very probably interesting. Totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been about an hour. I feel like that's a good time to wrap things up.
1: Yeah, yeah, that flew by. This was so nice. Thanks again for for asking no, me to chat. Yeah, no
0: problem, man. You know, I really enjoyed this as well. Are, are is is there anyone that you would want to see in the future? If I could, like, get this going and get you know more people.
1: Wow. Well, you know what? You opened um the you opened the conversation mentioning um you know seeing Julie's poacher for the first time in Strays. You should talk to Julie.
0: I will try to do that if she agrees to it yeah
1: yeah
0: well thank you man this has been awesome
1: yeah thank you so much this was great chatting with you yeah
0: we'll see you around
1: yeah enjoy the rest of your weekend
0: thank you you too man all right bye